0: So then I decided, with my wife's encouragement, that I should write my memories of my mother and then provide it to my three younger
1: siblings. I met old people at sixty and I met young people at ninety.
2: I think the kids are learning perhaps a huge lesson in life right now, but I wouldn't want to be a teacher trying to cope with this system because I don't know how they're doing it. And welcome to Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, and along with my co-host, Lloyd Hetherington, we embrace the age-old tradition of storytelling, of exploring ideas, and of remembering the importance of connection. You see, the Green Bench is not just an idea or podcast. It's a real place to do all of those things, And these benches began at Schlegel Village's Retirement and Long-Term Care Residences as a place to have real conversations with residents, guests, experts, and the kind of people you'll be glad to have had a chance to meet. Like today's guest, who chose Canada, has a lifetime of wisdom about work, kicking habits, and being, oh, so resourceful. By now you know my co-host Lloyd, who is 86 and is a resident as well as a retired educator and missionary, a dad, grandfather, and widower. And like today's guest, he's a Schlegel Village's resident. Brendan Rossiter lives and thrives in the village of Aaron Meadows Long-Term Care in Mississauga, Aaron Gobra Meadows we should call it, as you'll soon hear. He was born in Ireland and is a natural storyteller a perfect fit as we welcome him to the Green Bench. Well, Lloyd, how are you today? And more importantly,
1: how does your garden grow? Well, I've planted two tomato plants. They're about maybe 18 or 24 inches high, and they seem to be holding up very, very well. Now, they feed me so well at the Schlegel Village, I'm not quite sure what I'll do with my harvest, but I'll worry about that when when that happens.
2: Oh, you'll be the most popular boy on the block. You know you will with fresh tomatoes out of the garden. Wonderful.
1: I know. I'll be able to catch up with things then.
2: Oh, catch up. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I'll
2: I'll, I'll think back on that pun with relish. Don't you worry. Okay. Okay. Now that Brendan knows that we are corny in all the best ways, it's lovely to have you with us here today on the Green Bench. Brendan, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you're 79 this year, and you came... To Canada 50 years ago and do I detect 52
0: 52 goodness I came on the 19th of April 1968
1: so good to have you here Brendan
0: as I tell everybody if I go home and I'm over here I say that I was born in a great country but now I'm living in a great country right on indeed
2: you are. And of course, the country you're talking about is Ireland, born there. Yeah, in
0: Dublin. Dublin. Du- Dublin, fair um, city,
2: where the yeah. population, what do they say? Ireland's always getting bigger because the capital city is Dublin.
1: Oh. Never mind.
0: <laughs> That's an old joke. Every day is Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> right
1: on. That's why people are the chief export of Dublin. Everywhere you go, you meet two classes of people, those who are Irish and those who wish they were Irish. Amen.
2: Amen. Let's talk about you, Brendan. Tell us your
0: story. Why did you come to Canada from Ireland? Well, I went into this early house on Capel Street in Dublin. An early house is for, uh, it's a pub. And uh, what it is, is it's for people who are on the night shift. and what. Mm -hmm. This fella came in with two suitcases. So I said to him, what's Canada like? And he says, it's good, it's blah, 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 blah. And I said, so that day I went over to the Canadian embassy and I asked for papers. And two weeks later I got a, a letter saying that I was accepted. So I said, I'll go over anyway and see what, what it's like. So I came and I just never went back.
1: Uh-huh. I admire your sense of adventure, willing to reach, reach out and try something different. It's quite a task, pulling up roots and then putting them down somewhere else. But you have done remarkably well. We went to school, like kindergarten, that you have,
0: at four years of age. Mm-hmm. And you only went up to seventh grade. Right. And then you didn't have anywhere to go because there was no work in Dublin. There was no work in Ireland at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I had a trade, and I left then, like, to come to Canada. Now, the only reason that I suppose I came was, I like to travel. Mm-hmm. I've been a, I've been in most places. I've been in Lisbon, the Algars, Paris. I used to take off and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Oh. But when I would arrive in a strange city, the first thing I would do is I'd look up the yellow pages. hmm I'd go under Irish, and you will always find that there's an Irish centre here, there's this, an Irish that. So when you go down, you'll always meet someone who can help you out. hmm There was times I never went home for 10, 12 years. It wasn't because of money or anything else. I used to say that, uh, I'll go to, I'll go to Cuba or the Dominican Republic or Disney World. I like Disney World. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the better than me mm-hmm. kids.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to say that part out
0: loud. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I did. I had a great time. I worked seven days a week if the work was there here in Canada. Mm-hmm. I had my own business. I opened up my own business. I was a, a wow. sewing machine mechanic. Right. Ah. Yeah. I used to fix the big industrial sewing machines. Mm hmm. And I would sell them and rent them and anything to make a dollar. And that
2: was almost recession proof, too, because people buy them, right? And when times are not
0: good, they make their stuff at home. Yes. CMT, that's called. Uh huh. Cut, make, and trim. So the, the factory would bring the pieces of garments together and you would work them in your house at, at piece work. Mm-hmm. Right. But i done a lot of work for the movie business. Oh. Do I- tell. I would rent them machines, like Goodwill Hunting and things. They'd rent the machines, say, 15 machines for eight months. They'd pay you up front. If anything broke on them, they pay you for a service call. And when they was up, you got the machines back. Mm. And you sold them. Sweet. See, you have to understand, you're on your own. You can't go around to your mother and say, I haven't got my mortgage for this mother. I was 3,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. So what I used to do was, when I, I bought a house in Clarkson, down in South Down Road. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to believe this, but it was out there one, when I bought it. And I went into the show house. I put $100 down as a deposit. Oh. <laughs> and he said, no, you have to give more. And I said, no. If it, she says, I'm going to lose any money. She says, I'm only going to lose $100. <laughs> so I got it. I paid 33000 for it. Goodness. Of course, I was going to work. I smoked, I smoked 50 cigarettes a day. Good heavens. Uh, and they were players playing, the, one, the ones with the tips, you know, the... No filters. The, the, no filters. Oh. And there were 25 in the package. huh? So my car wouldn't start one morning. So I ran for the Go Bus. And when I got the port credit, I put me hand in me pocket to take out a cigarette. And I said, the reason I'm out of breath is, is uh, because of these cigarettes. So I had 12 cigarettes in the package. And when I went into work, I told my mates I there, so when I smoked them, so I'm finished with them. That was 43 years. I haven't smoked a cigarette since. Marvellous.
2: I got a question for you there, Brendan. You haven't smoked since about 1978. Uh, Do you remember how much a pack of cigarettes was then?
0: Uh... You'd be looking at around twenty-five cents because a case of, uh, a case of Molson X was uh, three fifty. Okay. And you could go into any supermarket with two trolleys and load them both up with groceries for twenty dollars. Uh-huh. Right. You, okay. You won't do it. To, you won't do it today. No.
2: <laughs> now I want you to guess, Brendan, and I know you won't know this one, Lloyd. How much is a pack of cigarettes today, Brendan? I haven't a clue. Give me a guess. I say I say ten dollars. Fourteen fifty. Crazy. Aren't you glad you made that decision?
0: Look at all that money. It didn't bother me. I have very, very strong willpower. Certainly you do. If I say I'll do something, I'll do it.
1: That's part of the DNA of being born in Dublin. The Irish are the fighting people, the have determination. They get, have get up and go, and you you just exemplify that. There's a lot of people in around the world
0: don't don't realize that there's three Nobel Prize winners for literature from Dublin. Mm-hmm. We used to go to the Gay Theatre, the Abbey Theatre. I always loved the theatre,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and right, that's the way you were brought up, you know. That's the way I was brought up anyway. And I was the youngest of six boys. So, one of my brothers, Leo, he used to say, if I got a kick in the dairy, eh, I'd end up with a black eye. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, brothers.
1: Were you the youngest sibling? I have a younger sister. Okay.
0: Four of my other brothers passed away. They all lived in the that, that 80s. Mm, uh. 83, 84. We've long, long, longevity in uh, in the family, right? And uh, two of my brothers died of asbestosis. Oh, they they worked in the you know the lagging and, and putting the around the pipes and everything, and they didn't have masks or oh. anything
2: else. Right.
0: The doctors used to say, "It's amazing that you're still alive." Goodness. But Dublin is different. It's it's a city where you can get anything in. You could go to different pubs in the middle of the night and if it was going to be raided, the sergeant in the police station would phone up the (laughs) pub and say, you're getting raided tonight. (laughs) So they'd all go out into the the field and they'd sit there and be quiet. And then later on that night, the sergeant would come up on his bike and he be sitting there drinking for the rest of the night for nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know it, you know it. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. And okay, drinking is something that is synonymous with Dublin. It was James Joyce in Ulysses. There was a character who said they thought it would be a good puzzle to cross Dublin without passing a pub. And certainly, some of our very, very favorite memories are from the pubs in Ireland. But you gave that up too. You gave up smoking more or less cold turkey, but you decided that you weren't going to take
0: the drink anymore. I gave that up about nearly five years now. I haven't had a beer since I, I said I would give it up. Mm. Why did you give it up? I, I wasn't well. Mm. And I knew, I, I said to myself, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have took better care of me, buddy. Ain't that the truth. There's all lots of stories, like and the strangest of them all is the ones that are true are always the funniest mm-hmm. oh do
2: tell that sounds oh, let's yeah. let's just snuggle into the green bench here, Lloyd, and let's hear Brendan tell us a story oh,
0: i'm wait I'm waiting for it. My father made sure that we all got trades, so one Saturday afternoon he was a uh, making a fry-up, you know, mm-hmm. in Irish. So, instead of bringing the plate over to the pan, he brought the pan to the plate on the table, and mm. he spilled some grease, and he slipped, and he bashed his head, he needed a few stitches and whatever. So, my brother got him and brought him down to the hospital, and it was a student doctor. So, <laughs> he said to me, Father, what happened? And he said... I had a blackout, so he said, well, we're going to keep you in for two days, so my brother said to him, he explained, to him, he's half drunk, that's what's wrong with him, so he said, we're going to have to keep him in, so anyway, they took off his jacket, his waistcoat, a shirt, a vest and one and the doctor turned around and says, my Jesus, he's like an onion.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know and another time uh, he, over here in Canada they'd say to me uh, when are you going to learn to speak English and I'd say well we spoke with force and you screwed it up <laughs> and then they said to me uh, how come you didn't change your accent and I said I couldn't find a better one so uh-huh. I kept the one I had lovely <laughs>
2: Perfect. So, did you retire at any time, Brendan, or have you always just kind
0: of kept going? I retired when I was 70. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And anything I ever done, like property I'd buy, I had a house in Oakville. I, had to, I sold it because it was 2,500 square feet and I was living there on my own. It was too big. So, I sold it. But everything that i done, I made money on. Wow. Now, I have a, I have a daughter, she's 47, and she looks after special needs children. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have a son, he's 41, and he's got a big job in Hydro One. Mm-hmm. So, they have their houses, and this, that, and the other, and it, it wasn't actually the money. In other words, how many steaks could you eat in a day? Mm-hmm. So that's the way I would look at it. And they, anything the house needed or anything the kids needed, that would be it. Right. Mm-hmm. My wife was born in Scotland, and when I would go to the Dominican or one I'd go on my own. Okay. And I'd give them the money to go to Dublin or to Glasgow or wherever they wanted to go. With. Right. There would be a few things I'd change. Like if I was 22 or 21 today, I would end up getting a trade at repairs to small engines. Mm-hmm. Because there's fellas coming over here and they're working in the banks and this and they're all IT this, but they can't change a U ground plug. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. That's right. They can't change a plug. And then the lawnmower would break. And he'd bring it down to the fella to fix it. And all it would need would be a spark plug. So he would say, well, I'll have to keep it for a week. Mm, right. And come back. Yeah. And he would rent him the second-hand lawnmower. Yeah. He would be getting paid for the rent of the lawnmower and getting paid for mm-hmm. fixing the right. lawnmower. It was
1: found money. Yeah. But you realize these tradesmen... It's not the cost of the repair that's on the bill, but the m- amount they charge for the storage of it while you keep you waiting.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right, Lloyd.
0: <laughs> well, I always said when kids are graduating from high school, the school teacher knows which ones will make it in a college or a university. Mm-hmm. He should be able to say, well, look, you're better off getting a trade. They end up getting $100,000 a year, and when they're finished their training, they don't owe OSAP or they don't owe the government or anybody else any 200000 for yeah. this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. And they have to pay it back with interest. Uh-huh.
1: Unfortunately, higher education is much more a money-making business than the, the classical education. They want to get as many bodies into the courses as possible to generate as much uh, money from tuition as possible. And sometimes the student really suffers because they're just part of a large machine printing out the various c- certificates and diplomas. I agree with you, Brendan, that for many people it would be far, far better to get a trade. Every tradesman, like a plumber and a carpenter
0: and everything else, should have an apprentice exactly yep
2: the more hands-on the better in fact according to ontariocolleges.ca many college trade programs combine the apprenticeship training or co-ops into diploma programs just as you're suggesting brendan and by 2025 which isn't so far down the road about two out of five careers are going to be in skilled trades so you're definitely on the right path, and uh, I well, know,
0: Lloyd and I couldn't agree more. Right. You have to use your head. Mm-hmm. If you were living in Dublin and you didn't have your mortgage, you could go around to your mother and get the money and pay that month's mortgage and then pay her back. But I can't, if I'm living in Toronto, we couldn't just go across the street and, whatnot and say, Maggie, I'm 3,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what I would do, I made it a plan. I would save 10% to 15% on every wage package I got.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Now
0: I'm maxed out on tax free savings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're not paying taxes. on But anyway, you have to turn around and look. Yeah. And you're on your, I, I realize you're on your own.
1: Brenda, I like what you're saying. Take a look at your finances. You control them. Don't let them control you. Yes. And putting that 10% aside on a regular basis is so, so essential. Yeah. Once I was first married, my wife and I set up a budget, and we always paid ourselves as part of that budget so that I'm living comfortably in retirement now because of that.
2: Yes. And speaking of living comfortably, as you are, Brendan, at the village of Aaron Meadows, long-term care in Mississauga, what made you decide to move there after living your own life independent in your condo?
0: What uh, what was kind of the turning point for you? Well, I got sick and uh, my son came again and my head wasn't connecting with my brain. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was in a kind of a bad way. And believe me, there is nothing that comes near this place. Oh.
2: The food mm.
0: is excellent. Now I mean excellent. And the staff go out of their way. In other words, if you ring the bell and you, you're looking for your medication or whatnot,
1: and they say, "Okay, we'll be
0: up in two minutes, or to do it." They're up
1: in two minutes. Brendan it's part of the DNA of the Schlegel villages, that we are treated not like residents, but like presidents, where the <laughs> our slightest wish is their command, and I know from experience here. I asked for something, and the answer is always, "Sure, okay, mm-hmm. right away." So. I like being treated like the president rather than the resident. <laughs> yeah, well, the people here—they go out
0: of the way to help you. Mm-hmm. The girl that does the cooking and whatnot, she comes over at the end and hows the food, and she says, uh, "Do you want anything else? And you need anything else?" That's
1: the way it is here. It's—I love it. It's brilliant. Uh, I, I find that because they do so much, I don't. I have a, a lot of spare time and trying to fill that spare time is a challenge. If you have spare
0: time, you must remember there's always something that you can find to do. I don't need an alarm clock. Never did. Uh-huh. I'm up at six o'clock every morning. Yeah, and I go and I get me medication and the blood sugar and this, that, because I'm type 2 diabetic. But I was going down one morning to get a newspaper. And I was wearing them flip-flops. All uh-huh. And I tripped on the sidewalk. Oh, dear. And I broke me elbow in three places. Ooh. So I went down to the fracture clinic. And... They just put my arm in a sling. And it took them two weeks to so I went in and the guy that tried to fix it, he put all the hardware through my arm. Okay. I had a day nurse would come in every day and she'd look at it and change the dressing and this, that, and the other, and she'd say it's getting better. It's getting better. I say it's not. So I went back to the hospital and the doctor looked at it and he says that's the hardware coming out of your elbow. Yeah. Oh, just... no. So he got a pliers and he pulled the two pieces of hardware out of my elbow without any injection or anything else. <laughs> so three days later, I had an appointment with this doctor. And went he was an Irish guy, a corkman. I'll tell you a story about the corkman. Anyway, so he took all the hardware out. And then he opened up the elbow and cleaned her all out and stitched her up and sent me off. So I could do anything with my arm now. Excellent. But the story about the Corkman, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. When the Americans landed on the moon, they found a broken Coke bottle and a Corkman.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, right. They're Everywhere. Uh, And we used to joke in Dublin. We would joke in Dublin. The thing about Dublin and Ireland, we laugh at ourselves uh and not get upset. Now, there's 50% of the Irish don't drink. Mm -hmm. The other 50 make up for it. Right on. (laughs)
2: Well, on that note, Brendan, we will bid you a... Very fond farewell, and thank you so, so much for spending the time with us today and uh, telling some stories and a bit of wisdom, a lot of wisdom, and just your take on life. May you have many, many more happy years, and may you be in heaven a half an hour before the devil knows you're dead.
0: <laughs> well, you'll, you'll probably be a car commander there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And and, and he'll, he'll steal the brass doors, so it'll be hard to get in. There oh, you go. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.
2: Bye, Brandon.
1: Lovely, yeah. lovely to have met you.
0: Bye now.
2: Join Lloyd Hetherington and me as we sit down next time with a 95-year-old spark whose mottos are many, including, If my eyes are open, my feet are on the floor. She's Annie Whittle, and she's carving whittling out time to talk with us on episode 23. Make sure you don't miss one podcast and just go to elderwisdom.ca. Find the link for our Green Bench podcasts and we'll let you know as soon as the next one's up. And while you're at the website, be sure and take the Elder Wisdom Pledge. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington, I'm Aaron Davis. We thank you for sharing in these life stories and we'll talk to you again soon because your seat on the Green Bench is ready and waiting.
1: Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.